0: Okay, here we are at the June 11th, 2015 meeting of the Science Fiction Club. And we are talking about Ventus by Carl Schrader. I was pronouncing it Schroeder, but I think it's Schrader. But there's no umlaut over it, the O. But anyway, uh, that's the book we're doing this month, and we'll go around and see what people thought about it. Uh, So whoever wants to punch in first, we'll start with them. All right, I guess I'll dip my foot into the water there.
1: Uh, I thought it was pre- very interesting. It it, it 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 had some rather you know complicated stuff. It was a mixture of, of fantasy and medieval stuff, and then the super super science fiction thing with the off-worlders and everything. It made me think of a book that we that that we might have read that I read at least called in, in, in tra- "Enchantress from the Stars," where you had a super advanced. Um, culture coming in contact with a relatively primitive culture. Um, but it, And then of course the the whole concept of the winds and all the other strange things of the planet. It was very interesting. Um, a bit long, but, but I think it was quite good.
2: Well, I thought it was a bit long. I started losing track of who was who. And uh, I admit after about seven or eight hours I was starting to count the chapters until we got up to 45. <laughs> i like the way that it ended though there were at least a few compromises and uh, stuff like that at the end so it didn't really leave a lot of people out in the dark and you kind of wondered where they were what happened so i like the ending i got kind of sick of the politics in it um it just there was just a lot of you know who's going to do whatever to get their advantage and and uh, just a lot of stuff i think he could have cut out a bunch of the descriptive stuff i was looking for more action but there was it was just kind of slow and coming but there were a couple things that kept me going despite my getting restless with it i love the way that jordan worked his mind and his brain to actually figure out how things worked And it was interesting that the winds were actually called the winds because when I first started the book, I thought winds were going to be breezes or tornadoes or hurricanes or some weird something. But no, winds probably meant power, like a a really strong wind would have. But these things, of course, were AI. And uh, they had a lot of power, you know, definitely, whether you were the good ones or the bad ones. And um, I like the way that it ended, as I said. I like harmony in the environment, and I like things to work together. It's just my uh, getting into the ecology stuff. So that attracted me a lot. So interesting book, a bit too long,
3: but that's how I thought of it. Well, I really liked the book, too. Um, I, I agree that it was maybe just a skosh-long um, I found places where I was kind of thinking, oh my gosh, are they ever going to get to the battle? Or, oh my gosh, are they ever going to get to whatever it is that you know is coming? Um, which kind of bothered me. But other than that, I thought it was pretty interesting. And one of the things that sort of struck me kind of late in the book it was, was when they were talking about how there were um, categories and stuff that, you know, like First of all, there was like I am iron, and then I am a knife, and then you know, and sand was was a good example. Is like I was I'm silicon dioxide, and then I'm a grain of sand, and then I am sand as, and then I'm the desert. But then there were other categories that were something that humans never really thought of, and what that the thing that that made me think of was um, a concept called object-oriented programming, which is sort of a design method that I used a lot when I was doing software. And that really is the way it's organized. And I'm fascinated with the thought that maybe there are ways in which... Well, I've always thought that it sort of is designed kind of the way the world really is. And so it was really interesting to see that as... um, developed in a book. I was
2: thinking how useful that would be for us as blind people or anybody with a disability who wasn't quite sure what was going on. What are we looking at with this device? What do we do with it? That would have been really cool.
0: Well, I, I love the book. I think I'm going to put it on my favorites list if I ever revise my favorites list, which I may at some point. But as I told Lissy, I, it takes years for a book to get on my favorites list because it has to hold up. You know, it has to be a classic. It has to hold up for years, and I have to think about it, you know. And if it keeps coming into my mind every so often, then it eventually will get on my favorites list. So this book isn't there yet, because I just read it last October, or September and October, and uh, for Bookshare, I scanned it. And then I read it again with Lissy. I wasn't sure I was going to, but I decided to go ahead and do it. And I thought it was just as good the second time. There are some things about it I don't quite get, which we'll we'll talk about. But overall I thought it was great. Um I I, I know um Lissy's gonna talk in a minute, but I she, I she thought it was a little long too, and I said, It's a big story. So, um, you know, it reminded me somewhat of a fire upon the deep, not in details, but in some in he certainly was influenced by Werner vinge I can see it. And I forget whether he mentions him in the acknowledgments at the beginning or not, but he certainly uh, was influenced by him. I can see the you know the the super intelligent the way he handles some of the, some of that stuff as Vingy did, um, and I thought it was great. Uh, the the, uh, the the ending I like the ending too. You know, they came to an agreement. You know, they, the things worked out. But um, this whole book was actually recommended by Werner Vinge on a podcast that I heard that I actually have on my that I downloaded as an example of a digital Gaia form of singularity, which is a different form of singularity from the one that most people write about the AI form. Um, and it's where everything is uh, has a well it's like what we're going to have if we ever get the internet of things that's so called because when we get internet protocol version 6 there are enough addresses in there to give an internet address to every atom on the planet and more and if we ever get that um it seems to be kind of slow in coming out but um you know we could have something like that we're already getting to it in you know with appliances and cars coming online and all that um, so we're kind of in the infancy of that now, but I like to see how the author played it out. And I was talking to Lissy today, and and I was going outside in the, you know, and it was we had just gotten some rain, and I wanted to go on the swing, and and uh, she said, get an old towel, and I said, I don't know which ones are old, but if I were on Venice, the towel could tell me how old it was. Um, so I was just you know kind of thinking about that kind of thing. Um but anyway, I thought it was a great, great book and i as I said, there are some things about it. It may have been a bit on the long side no book is perfect, but this one is really really good sweetie
4: um i have i have i didn't like the all the soldier stuff and the war stuff, but that's i know that's part of life. I can see how people who uh there are a lot of religions where they believe that everything is connected and um, that you never cease to be, you just change. And that's kind of what happens on Ventus. But I was thinking at the end when the, when the fox um, brought the bird to the, the man, he, and I thought, you know, a fox wouldn't do that. And so my thought was, is that still a fox? you know it was a nice thought that the fox would share but then what's the point of it looking like a fox because in essence it's not a fox anymore it's uh, some kind of a sharing animal or whatever so um that's all i have for right now <laughs>
0: Well, you know, there's other old saying about the lion lying down with the lamb. You know, it'll still be a lion, but if it lies down with the lamb, is it still really a lion? You know, I guess you can ask that question. Anyway, okay, I'll let we'll let someone else talk now.
1: I thought the you know the character is very interesting and and how uh, especially the character of what was the name Armature or what the fact that he started out as you know as a vengeful you know offshoot of that of that God that I forget what the numbers are. You know, had all the numbers and he. And, and, and he was out to, you know, wanted to dominate the world and control the winds, and then gradually he, he became more humanized as time went by. And as, at the same time, the... I, I don't remember the names of some of these characters, but the, that, that woman who was hunting him, uh, who was with Axel, you know, she, she almost to the end, very end wanted, wanted to hunt him down, you know, as, as part of the god... So I, I found that to be very interesting too—the fact of his, his evolu- the evolution of his character.
2: Yeah, I noticed that too. In fact, it was interesting how he finally became a human in the end, which was probably not his choice. Um, and then she didn't have any reason to hunt him anymore. Actually, I I have I know that she left the planet, but that that is part of the detail that kind of got smushed in my head, and I can't remember all the detail. <laughs> but. Everything changed in that book. A lot of stuff changed. Um, And it was neat to just watch it. I thought the queen was interesting, especially because she was so high and mighty royalty, and then all of a sudden she had to be changed. Well, she didn't have to be, but she did change because of the situations that she was in. So by the end of the book, she was changed.
3: I thought that the lady who was hunting um, the construct guy, Armature or whatever it is. I can't remember the name either. I thought that she had ended up becoming a part of Ventus as in one of the winds. Wasn't she called like the white...
0: White hair or something like that? Yeah, she uh Calandria May. She was uh hunting Armager and then the winds got a hold of her because they she had foreign technology on her and she wasn't the one they sought, but they just, they made her over into a, a cat like thing. But she still had most of her original psyche, not but, but she was made over and she was became part of the winds. But she still had her original purpose. And of course and then the, at the end she just uh went into the wild because she was you she know, loved she freedom. loved the freedom and she just she had failed at being a human by her own estimation, and so she had just finally given up on trying to be human and enjoyed the form that she had. Um so that was that was also another interesting uh aspect to it. Uh arm that was poignant though. Armager you know, became more human. He gave up his original purpose. But 3340, of course, being you know super AI, super intelligent, he would have he would have made a contingency for that. So he hid the resurrection seed where Armager wouldn't find it, or else he wouldn't find it until it was too late. So um, you know, wheels within wheels. That's kind of the way Vinji did with the powers in uh, a Fire Upon the Deep. You know, you can't outwit these You know, you can't outwit them with, you know, your human mind or even Armager's slightly more than human mind. But it, So that made it even more poignant. But it was great that he survived and, you know, he's going to learn more about being human because uh, he really is human now because the, the archipelago, you know, stripped him of his original, you know, nanotech core. Um, they insisted on that. Um, so yeah, he's grieving now because he fell in love, and that was you know poignant too. You know that was really cool.
3: Yeah, I find myself really, actually liking him as time went on. Um, and uh, something else that I think is that you know there was always a a sort of a almost romantic connection that was sort of denied between Calandria and the guy who was her companion that came with her to Ventus. And, you know, they sort of left a little bit of an opening there for a fi- for another book, in my opinion, because he's coming back as a diplomat, and she is there on Ventus as the wind. So that could end up being really interesting. Uh, that could be another interesting um, plot,
1: I would think. I also liked very much... Um that other that uh, what was the name of that, that that cute little woman who came down with the ship and then joined them and everything? I, I forget her name, and she she was sort of cute. She was always standing on her tiptoes and everything, and you know, and, and and interacting with them and everything. And the other the other character I liked very much was the artificial intelligence that was originally the ship and then uh, was con- converted and took over almost the uh, co- almost imitating Calandry in almost every aspect.
0: Yeah, that was uh, the desert voice. That was her ship. She had to survive as, you know, pretend to be human. So, you know, her pretense got so good eventually that she lost her will to turn herself off when she had fulfilled her purpose. So, you know, she... You know that was really yeah Maria Maria Mounts was her name she was yeah she was she was uh, you know but but she turned out to be a little tougher than you know but that was funny the scene where she's on the planet for the first time and she's worried about rain you know these little water missiles coming from thousands of meters up in the air and hitting her and she was that was just really cute because you know she was so sheltered growing up you know her entire environment was you know controlled and. And she was completely sheltered from it. And she had never been out in the open, you know, in on a native planet, even though, well, Venice doesn't really count, but it looked native. Um, that was really a, a kind of a nice scene.
2: Did she end up going to Earth? I, I keep thinking she did. I might have gotten her mixed up with somebody else.
0: Yeah, she went back to Earth. Remember, she had two options for a diplomatic post and she tried to she persuaded Axel to take the one on the on Ventus and she took the one on Earth um, because he uh, um, wanted to stay on Ventus. He didn't like going back to the archipelago. He really hated that environment. But there is no sequel but there is another book called Lady of Mazes which is set in the same universe but it's got completely different characters but it does have 3340 in it um so, um it's kind of like a prequel except that no none of the original characters are in it except for Coronzon, which you heard about in this book, but he was off stage. Uh Axel and Calandria were working for him. But uh he is actually him? he is actually no, it's not as long. Uh it's not on Bard, it's on Bookshare. I did it uh for Bookshare. I read it and uh I forget who proofread it now. Um anyway, but it's up there. If uh, anybody likes Ventus uh, enough to read another book set in the same universe. How uh, much war you might try. soldiers are in there? Oh, not too many. Not like this book. Not not like the armies are in it.
3: Um, has Evan, or anybody else for that matter, have you read that first book that this guy wrote, Schrader? Um, I forget what it is, what the name of it is, but it was a fantasy. That's what they said on the cover or in the... the intro to the book
0: no i haven't read it i read some of the stuff he published in analog and he's written several novels that bard has in the candace universe it's a completely different universe uh from the ventus lady of mazes setup. um i read some of that but it wasn't i don't know that was the first stuff i read by him and i wasn't quite as impressed with it um but um, maybe I'll have to take another look at it. But uh, no, I haven't read the fantasy that he wrote. But this, I like that scene. Another scene I like with Tulare trying to kill him, and he's got this armor on, and he's all, you know, he can't. His nanotech is cheap. Remember, he he said cheap stuff or something when he was he gave him that drug, and he got all discombobulated, and he couldn't, you know, function. And uh, Tulare was trying to kill him, and he couldn't kill him, and. Oh, it was just kind of a. F- I know it wasn't real comic at the time, but it, it it was. It had its, you know, it had. There was some swashbuckling elements there to it, and you know, it was kind of a good scene.
2: I think that's the scene where. Um he was getting punctured, you know. And the sword didn't go through his armor, and the the opponent, whoever it was, said, "Die, you idiot!" or whatever. I like, yeah, right. It <laughs> it wasn't funny, but it was funny. I mean, it was just, I don't know.
1: I think that wasn't that Axel it was that
0: that that away, was attacking or something with with a sword. and he couldn't it couldn't get into his armor. Yeah, that was Axel. Who was he knew something. He knew something wasn't right about Axel. He knew he wasn't the agent, the person he claimed to be. But he was trying to send him up. He was trying to kill him and make it look like he had killed the head of the household, DeFray, you know, or something. And then, uh, but uh, yeah, that was that was kind of a fun. But I will say, I didn't quite get all the stuff about the lions, as... Martha Harmon Pardee pronounces it. I pronounced it Thalians when I was reading the book. It's spelled T-H-A-L-I-E-N-C-E. And I didn't quite get all that about, you know, uh, objects having their own natures or their own essences or whatever. And um, It had something to do with AIs being independent of humans and not just being programmed to do what humans told them to do. But Uh, He's got a website or an article on a website about it. He wrote some nonfiction about it, at least one essay, which I started to read, then I got distracted, and I never went back to it. But uh, it's definitely, if you do a Google search for that word, you'll find it, and maybe, um, you know, we'll have to, uh, I'll I'll have to try to take a look at it and see if I can follow, you know, what he actually wrote about it. Because he did write a nonfiction essay about it. But I didn't quite grasp what he, the details of it.
3: Yeah, you know, that's what I was talking about with the object-oriented stuff. That's pretty much um, the way that OO is designed. And um, it would be really interesting to read that article. So, and you say if if you search for that alliance or thali- alliance or whatever it is, that you can find it.
0: Yeah, that's how I found it. I just it. I just put it into Google, and uh, it came up. Um, but I can look for it after the meeting and post a link. Uh, which reminds me, there's something else I want to mention, but I'll mention it after we're done with this book.
1: I wonder. You know, I had. I don't know if I had problems with the character of Jordan, but it seems to me like he's starting out such a simple peasant type person, and then had such, you know, took on such responsibilities and everything. It seemed like that might be a little, to me, a little hard to take that his character, you know, developed that way, that he was almost controlling parts of the world in a sense. And at the end, he went back to a, a simple life again.
2: Well, the thing is that I don't know that it would be such a simple life because all of a sudden he has all the abilities that he's got and he's fully realized them. I kind of looked at that as a coming-of-age type deal because here he was at the beginning just doing basic, what was it, masonry stuff, bricks and and building stuff, and all of a sudden uh, he starts having all those visions and that forces him to wake up and figure out, no, he's not a kid anymore. <laughs> That's how I looked at it. In a way it sorta of reminded me of Star Wars or Battlefield Earth or some of those books where you got, you know, a simple guy that looks simple but he's not. There's a lot more to him than that.
3: Yeah, exactly. I was thinking that too. He's he does seem like a really simple person at the beginning, but you know, it's like I remember at one point he uses a lot of the information that he gets through his networking into this system to do things, to make assumptions and um, predictions about things that make, make it, you know, make a huge differences to the way that the book went. Like he was able to, by uh, looking at um, the world, at, at the castle from way above, he was able to deduce if there was that uh, tunnel and figure out where it Ended up so that they were able to be out there when the queen and the guy who was her, um, the general that was against her, <clears throat> got there.
0: Yeah, that farm boy stuff. That, that that trope is very common in fantasy too. The simple farm, home loving. Well, even Frodo was kind of like that. Um, but uh, Tad Williams did it in his uh uh, book, uh, Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn. The farm boy who's just simple, and but he finds himself in a situation, and he grows up to it and into it, and he becomes. And uh, this is all, you know. And, and as Mary mentioned, this is common in a lot of fiction. This kind of simple home boy kind of grows up and gets power, and and gets nobler. And go ahead, sweetie.
4: Well, what I liked about it, though, is that. Um, Evan said gets power but i think I think of it more as ability, but he the thing was that he didn't seek power, nor once he tasted it did he um thrive on it he was he looked forward to going home again um He liked being a mason he like- he liked being good at his job, and um i I just thought that was a pure thing about him, yeah. Yeah,
2: well, the, now that I think about it, you realize that the, the visions and stuff that he had were a result of the implant that was given to him. And he half the time, he never really wanted it anyway, at least not in the beginning. But, um, I don't know, the whole thing is just interesting. Like you said, it's wheels and
3: wheels. One of the th- one of the things that I particularly liked about this stuff with Jordan is uh, hang on just a minute I've got a phone call coming in I need to stop it I hope I, well it's not going to work um, forgive me for having that in the background um, I think that the the important thing there is that he had such potential and no one realized it and by going through what he went through he was able to realize that potential which is pretty
1: amazing. I think one of the scenes that Roy really was very graphic and, and almost how would we describe it almost Dante esque might say was that armature when he was in his tomb and, and and basically almost in pieces and how he you know how he started to scratch on it his the name on on the inside of his tomb and how he gradually came out and Almost like a like a monster in the beginning there.
0: Yeah, and Then those grave robbers show up and, and you know they, they grabs one of them and you know that was a that was a you know you see there are these fantasy elements mixed in but you know Clark's law comes to mind Clark's third law you know any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic and he uses this here he never mentions it but he but the story always you know if not always but the story just you know works that way.
4: And we go back to the grave robber. He keeps coming up in the story. And then he's in one of the last scenes. Yeah,
0: he was in the scene with the fox at the end. And he's just totally miserable. And
4: and then he was yeah. in the scene where he was guiding them through the tunnels. So.
0: Yep.
2: Well, yeah, you know, if you're reading it at one level, you could say it was magic. But obviously the technology is there in the background. It's always there. So. It's an interesting idea. You can't really call it fantasy, although it's got elements of it. Um, It's intriguing. It's the kind of thing that a college kid could write a term paper about. I mean, in fact, this book, if you look at the description on NLS, it says it's for high school and above. And I'd have to be very envious and admiring of a high school kid who could get through this book. (laughs) <laughs> but there are
4: some smart kids out there um i my sister in law teaches high school uh, at a boys' Catholic school, and she teaches the advanced placement classes and um, i i mail it, I already mailed the print copy of this book to her um, because in the summer she reads new books that she and, and thinks about books. To introduce to her class or put into her class library. So if it get gets gets that far, I'll let you know if any of those kids ever makes their way through it. Because I agree, um, I when I found out it was, I was shocked. It was a young adult book.
0: Well, yeah, it's the longest young adult book I've ever seen. That's for sure. Uh, and it's yeah, it's definitely uh, a, a long one for young people.
2: Of course, if you think about what we were reading when we were growing up, especially if we were reading science fiction, I couldn't put my science fiction books into my English term papers when teachers wanted to know what we were reading because my teachers didn't know a thing about what I was reading. (laughs) Oh, dear. I guess we're just sort of ahead of the game wherever we are in in this genre.
0: Yeah, I was in high school. I was like 16 when I read Dune and, um, I certainly got more out of it later, but I certainly enjoyed it, and I got a lot out of it when I read it when I was 16, and I was reading, you know, Clark and Asimov, and I read Stranger in a Strange Land when I was like a 17 or something, I think, and, uh, good old Bo- Bert Blackwell's version, which I wonder if that'll ever get on barred. If it does, I'll download it instantly, but, um, Anyway, so I I read stuff when I was, you know, and they were pretty long, too, but they weren't listed as for younger readers, though. So I, you know, I read stuff like that. So uh, I can see, uh, but I'm surprised that it got the label, you know, for junior high and older readers or whatever it says, because it's, you know, it's pretty complicated. High school. High school, yeah, pretty complicated for them.
3: Don't you think that most kids who read science fiction are pretty smart anyway?
0: Well, that's true. They're self-selected. Um, that, that's that's true enough. So they'll they'll grab it. To the smart ones will gravitate to this book.
4: Well, and I was going to say I was reading Dickens when I was twelve, and <laughs> you know, and, and in those days we didn't have a lot of choice in braille. So kids who are really motivated. Go beyond where you expect, and then the kids that you wish had curiosity and ability, but don't, you know, are looking for, you know, short
0: books with short chapters. All right, that's true. That's true.
4: Yeah,
2: I grew up in the Star Trek generation with the the original series. I think I was a sophomore in high school. I had a friend who. People didn't think much of her. She wasn't very popular, neither was I, but we sat and yaked about Star Trek, and there it was 1966 and 67, and here we were talking about all this stuff that probably they didn't even teach in any of our high school science classes, and yet college kids learned it in physics, so I think we were ahead of the game there, too. (laughs) We weren't the popular ones, but, you know, we succeeded in life
0: well uh, if you guys are ready we can talk about our next book uh, if you'd like uh, I know we've talked somewhat about new a bunch of new bard books that are on the list some of them new and some of them uh, converted um, but we can certainly talk about other stuff besides that but there's quite a there's been quite a little uh, influx of um, books um, that we can talk about and I know that uh, Mary's written about the the Pamela Sargent book, and I know Lucy was interested in that. And but there's some other possibilities too. So uh, if anybody's got any ideas, ooh, she's taking the little dog outside because if he gets up and he doesn't go, he we might go to, where he, he might go where he shouldn't. Now if we were on Ventus, well, never mind. We just house. tell it, well, yeah, we just tell it to leave the house, and it would.
2: Well, I'm kind of, if we're going to read something on Bard, my choice would be Moat in God's Eye, because I haven't read that in jillions of years, and I think I read it from the Volunteers of Vacaville portions of that book anyway. And then there are other ones that are extremely long, like Marooned in Real Time. Who was that by... I forgot. Anyway, something like 43 hours. <laughs> I think that's a little bit too long.
0: No, that Marooned in Real Time is like 11 hours or something. I've got it on my book sense. Um, it was serialized in analog. It's nowhere near that long. I'm, I think you're thinking of something else, because Marooned in Real Time, I I can get my book sense, but I'm, it's like a, 11 or 12 hours at most.
2: Okay, yeah, I was probably thinking of something else.
1: Uh, there was- and there's a book on Bookshare that I think. What do we mention? It called Apex, which I think was written by that. what is it a Chinese writer? That we didn't we read something by him before? Unfortunately, um, not everyone here uh, has a membership in Bookshare, book, uh, Bookshare to read it. But I downloaded I downloaded an audio version just to have it in the event that we were to read it, or maybe I might read it myself. But it sounds like it would be very interesting.
0: Uh, that is the third book in Ramesh Nam's and Nexus trilogy, and you really kind of should read the first two first because it's not uh, a standalone book. The characters and situations are all carried over from the second book. Um, it's uh, so I don't think we should read that. Um, the first one is called Nexus, and the second one is called Crux, and the final one is called Apex. And I'm about a quarter of the way through it now. And uh, but you kind of have to start from the beginning with that. But it, you're you're right; it really is good. But you can't start with Apex.
1: And we didn't. Re- what was the one that we read that that took place? I mean, it took some place in some. I think some of the characters were in 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 Bangkok, and I can't remember too much about it. But it it had something to do with with some sort of drugs or something. I thought that might have been that first book, but I, maybe I'm. I'm probably, that's probably some other author.
0: Nexus did take place in Bangkok. Some of it did take place in Bangkok with drugs. It's a, Nexus is a, a drug that you take that causes you to have to be able to communicate with other people mind to mind. It's a nanotech drug that was developed in the 2040s or 2030s. Um, and, uh, but I don't think the club did it. I know uh, some of us have been reading them. I know Leela liked them a lot, and I, I liked them a lot. But I don't think the club did them. Well, maybe we did. I'll have to look at my news wires now, because we didn't read that, sweetie, did we? I don't know. Oh, okay. I knew. Oh, okay. Well, I don't think we did, but if we did... Uh, um, Anyway, there, there there is a book by a Chinese author, though, on Bookshare that I just put up a few days ago called The Three-Body Problem. It's, a, it's the first of a trilogy about an alien invasion written by a Chinese author. The first time, you know, that... Um, we've gotten a, a serious science fiction from the Chinese author, and uh, I've read it. Uh, it was scanned excellently by somebody we know, and I proofread it. Um, it's okay. I, it's got a lot of really great reviews on Amazon. I think I'm a little bit in the minority. I think it's all right, but it's not fabulous. But if you're curious as to what wins awards in China uh you might want to check it out because it is it's pretty got some hard science in it. it definitely got some hard science in it and it's got some characters i mean it's got but
4: it's exotic but it's, it's, it's exotic it's sounding.
0: very foreign sounding though she's right um so if you guys want to read that you might want to check it out but um you know so that is um that's the only one i know of by a chinese writer that i think we've done or that that i can that i remember that we haven't done it but i'm That's the only one I know
2: of. Uh, We did read Nexus. I remember that because I couldn't stand that book. Leela loved it. But I remember how it started. It it was uh, teenagers in this club, and this guy was using drugs to uh, get them high so that he could have sex with them and they wouldn't remember what he did. And then that's how he got his power to build his empire of. Um, him controlling all kinds of stuff, I hated that book, but the club read it okay
0: i 'd forgotten that because i'd read it, and uh, i didn't think i wasn't i wasn't happy with the beginning either, but I liked the book after that um, and the second book and now the third book is the final book is out and there 's a lot of intrigue and a lot of really interesting thought-provoking speculation and some quite a lot of action but uh we can't read that book though because you have to read the second one first before you read the third one so um uh moat is a good book it's also quite long though um i don't remember how long the bard version is but i remember the um was uh at least twenty hours or more uh, because I remember the uh, eight rpm version was on eight was on sixteen sides um so um it's but that was read by Ken Kleben. Uh I never read the John Pope version I had no idea bard made a version read by him um so but it's another long one if you guys want to read it. It's been, like, many years since I've read it. It's a, I think it's a great book. But uh, So that's certainly on the table if people want to read another long book. But if people want to read something shorter, there's um, plenty of choices there, too.
2: I think it's 22 hours, uh, and then there's a sequel to it that I think is a bit shorter. But I vote for that one. I haven't read that in so long. Of course, that's just me talking. <laughs> Other people probably have opinions.
1: I know I haven't read it at all, so I don't know what it's about, but um, could you give us an idea based on what type of
0: science fiction it is? Um, it's about a, a, um, star. Uh, an, um, a ship is outfitted to examine this uh, solar system because they've detected odd... Um, Behavior in its star and, well uh, first of all they f- they one of the they found an alien star ship um, and they approach it and um, they think they see something coming out of it, but then when they get to it nobody 's there and they examine it and then they um, they set up a an expedition to go to the solar system where it came from, and they meet these aliens. But the aliens are hiding something, and the mystery is, you know, what are they hiding? And there's factions um, among the humans, some of them are very trusting, and some of them are very suspicious, and so, you know, and and then we gradually find out what it is the aliens are hiding, and then, of course, the plot thickens and the suspense grows as to whether or not, you know, what, what's going to happen. Oh, gee, I almost spoiled it. Uh, Oh, I better not say any more. But it's it's a good book. It won in a, I don't know if it won a Hugo or a Nebula or both when it came out back in seventy seven or seventy nine or something. It's another Niven and Pornell collaboration and boy they were at their peak back in the seventies and eighties and you know, we've done a two of their a couple of their other books already. Um so it's a it's a good book. Uh especially if you haven't read it before, so you don't know how it turns out.
2: I think the only other thing I remember about that is that there are different types of aliens that had different functions depending on what they look like. And uh, some of them were what, communicators and some of them were engineers, but there was stuff going on just besides
3: what they look like. Uh, <laughs> that's all I remember. If I, It's been a really long time since I read it. I think I must have read it. Um, this is before I lost my sight, and I'm thinking it was maybe more like 74 or 75, Evan, but you may be right, um, but I think I was still in college when that happened, and I, I thought it was really kind of grim, but I would certainly be willing to read it again, because who knows how my perspective on it would change.
0: Oh, you're probably right, I just, I, I was guessing, and I don't remember now, you're probably right, um. It is grim. The aliens are very grim. Um, They are... I I don't want to spoil it too much, but you're right. They did have different functions. Uh, A lot of it was instinctive. But I can't talk too much about why because that would kind of give it away. But the aliens are... Oh, yeah, they're not real... uh, They're scary, I'm telling you. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's a really kind of depressing civilization uh, I admit but it's a it still was a very good book uh, the characters you know the human characters and you know there were quite a there's quite a big cast of characters it's another la- fairly you know it's another big cast of characters kind of like the one we had it's a big story it's long um, but it's, it's definitely good um, um, what else sweetie was there something you wanted to I know you were... uh, um, Okay.
2: The sequel to it, as I said, is on Bard also. It's called The Gripping Hand. And I think it's read by somebody else. I don't think that John Polk read that one. But it's also on Bard, so I don't know if that's grim or if things get a little more cheerful in the second book or what.
1: What was that book that we read on Bookshare? I think it was on Bookshare, about this... um people went out to find this ship and, and, and it was a lady she was a she piloted her own ship and went out to find this ship and they, it was it was an alien ship and they they started to explore it and they found strange rooms in it and stuff like that Can't when you mentioned this thing about a ship out there it made me think of that book
0: no, that was Diving Into the Wreck, Christine Catherine Rush, and she wrote some other books in that same universe, I think, didn't she? In the Ruins or something about the Ruins or something. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, I didn't really think that was very good, but I think I was in the minority on that. But that was the, that's the one you're thinking of.
2: Yeah, there were three books in that series. I didn't read the third one because I had gotten to the second one, and it was kind of boring, so I kind of gave up on her. <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, I'm still leaning toward the thing is I think with a, a grim book like that, um, the one that I'm planning to read about the teenager is kind of kind of balance it out because if you read a, a good one on top of a, a grim one, then at least it gives you a little more um, oh, I don't know, balanced view of life and the universe or something.
1: Well, let's go for it then. you bring up the information, the number or whatever.
2: I can go get my Victor Stream and and uh, give me that, so let me go across the room and get it and I can give you a book number.
1: While she's doing that, I'll mention the fact that I'm reading it I don't think you would consider it science fiction. I don't know if you people have heard about this television series on Fox, the Wayward Pines thing. So I've been reading the the the, the three books, Pines and then the other two books, Wayward Pines and I forget the other name that that are in the two books so Hopefully I'll be able to get that done in a day or two or three, and then I'll have time to re- read the one we're going to be reading.
2: You know, another one I've got on here is Grass by Sherry Tepper, but we just read something by her, so I don't know if anybody want to read that.
0: I thought that was pretty good, but um, I'd vote for Moat over Grass just because, uh, well, I like Moat a lot, and it's been many years since I've read it. So I read it a couple times when Ken Kleban's version, back in the, I read that back in the 80s, um, Um, But, uh, yeah, I would vote for that. Um, But I wouldn't mind going with Marooned in Real Time at some point in the not-too-distant future, but that's another one on my favorites list. So, um, but um, anyway, uh, but uh, Moat is a great book, so I will vote for that unless somebody has another idea. concerning cassettes do not apply to this recording. This version contains markers allowing direct access to major portions of the book. Library of Congress annotation. In the 31st century, humans make initial contact with another intelligent species. Though the aliens seem candid, they may be concealing their true and dangerously cunning nature. 1974. From the book jacket. Writing separately, Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell are responsible for a number of science fiction classics, such as the Hugo and Nebula award-winning Ringworld, Dead of Honor, and and The Integral Trees. Together they have written the critically acclaimed bestsellers Inferno, Footfall, and The Legacy of Hero, among
1: others. The Moat in God's Eye is their acknowledged masterpiece, an epic novel of mankind's first encounter with
0: alien life that transcends the genre. About the authors. Yep, you were right, Deb. It was older than I thought. But they didn't tell you much about it, did they?
3: Wasn't that a crock? I guess they figured that if they said very much, they'd give it away because... Well, it, as you, when you try to describe it, you see what, yeah, you, know, you
0: know what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah, it's great at first. And you meet these aliens, and you say, "Oh my, look at this, look at this." And then you start seeing clues that things aren't quite what they seem. And then, but that's all I'm gonna say. So, what's the title, or do we have the number? Four five four three eight. Four five four three eight. I believe it said. Okay, got it. Okay, Okay, I'm going to end this recording then by saying that our next meeting will be on July the 9th, Thursday, July the 9th, 2015. And we're going to read The Moat in God's Eye, which is available from Bard, and I will check Bookshare to see uh, if it's available up there. And, Skip it. of course, I'll put it on the newswire, whatever, you know, which, if, whatever links there are, I'll put them in the newswire as usual. And, uh, okay. We'll see you then.